Good to see you. Let's pray so we can get started, all right? Thank you, Lord, for today, our freedom, a place to meet. Father, we ask that you would uh, speak to us through your word. Help us make a decision uh, to be obedient uh, for your glory. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many veterans do we have in here today? Turn the light back on, please. I forgot to do that. Veterans, stand up for us, please, if you're a veteran. All right. All right. Happy late Veterans Day. That was yesterday, right? All right. Well, we appreciate it. If you've been with us, you know we're continuing on in the um, Spirits and God study. We're trying to cover those seven realities that were in his study. A couple of them we've had to put together just because we didn't have seven weeks. And uh, we're on the, the, is this the fifth one? The fifth one. And it's really two together, two chapters together, where he deals with a crisis of faith that leads to us adjusting our uh, decisions so that we can follow God's will. And um, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm just trying to complement uh, what's in the book. I'm not rehashing what's in the book. So if you're doing your study, you still need to read the, the chapters in the book. Don't just say, well, I'm going to just listen to you and do it. No, you'll, you'll miss too much. I'm just trying to add something uh, to that uh, and taking parts of that. So uh, make sure you still read. And you have uh, some of you have a couple more meetings left. Some of us only have one, but still get in one if you've never been to a small group. Uh, so uh, it's been a good study. And uh, today we're looking at that one. Uh, the crisis of faith and the crisis of uh, belief. It does one or two things. And, you know, I, you hear it defined all kind of ways. But simply all this means is when someone says, I'm having a crisis of faith or a crisis of belief, it means they made a decision not to believe anymore. I mean, they, they say, oh, no, no, that's what it is. You make a decision. Something going on in your life, and you said, I'm not going to trust God anymore because this didn't turn out the way I wanted to, so I'm not going to believe. You made a decision of your will that you're not going to trust God anymore. That's what it is. And here he's saying simply the crisis means you're at a point of decision. You know, you're at a point of decision. Is your faith in God and Christ to the point where you're ready to go do what he wants you to do? And that's a decision you have to make. You make more than one of them. You'll make more than, you may want to get here today. You'll make some more today before it's out. It's not a one-time thing. You're constantly making decisions of your will. <laughs> you know, how many times have you heard me say this, and we'll hear it more? You're going to do exactly what you want to do. And if you really want to do it, you'll find a way to do it. If you want to go to this place or that place, you'll go regardless. If you don't, you won't. You can make excuses or whatever, but you're going to do exactly what you want to do if it's all possible. That's what that works. But that's what he's talking about in this. Now, in chapter 11 of Hebrews is the faith chapter. I'm just going to read parts of a few verses just for the sake of time. It says, now faith is the assurance of the things that you hope for, a conviction of things not seen. You know, Paul's use of hope is, I know this is going to come to pass. I, it just hasn't happened yet. I know it's going to come to pass. 
uh, and that's exactly what this means, how uh, these people exemplified their faith. By faith, by faith, I believe God created the world. Can I prove it? I, I really can't prove it. But I'm trusting in the fact of, number one, that His Word says so, but that's it. By faith, we make a decision. Abel, by faith, he believed God, what he said he should do. Matter of fact, did you know Abel is considered the first prophet? It says from the prophet Abel to the prophet in the last one in the Old Testament. Abel was a prophet. Abel, by faith, offered a sacrifice. How about Enoch? Enoch walked with God, and God took him because, you know, I guess God liked his fellowship by faith. Enoch was translated. That means he left this earth, all right? By faith, Noah. You know, boy, this is funny. Can you imagine if you were Noah? And God said, Noah, I want you to build a boat because it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he said, what is rain? You know, it never rained on the earth up to that point, right? You know how that works. Farmers know how that works. You know, every night the moisture comes up from the bottom of the earth. And as long as there's enough moisture on top, what we would call the moisture meets. You want the moisture to meet because if you plant and the moisture goes under your seed, then it cannot, sometimes it won't germinate enough so you, it spoils and you, you just lost what you planted. But it says in the Bible that God had watered it from uh, not by rain. So what a faith element when he says, it's going to rain, Noah. He said, okay, so I'm going to build an ark. It's, you know, it's at that decision point in your life where you say, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. Boy, I don't understand it. And I don't know what it's going to cost me yet, but I'm ready. That's what this whole thing is. Abraham did the same thing. Abraham, I want you to come and I want you to go over yonder where I'm going to show you. I ain't going to tell you where you're going yet, but I just start. You know, any of you sailors ever sailed under sealed orders? You leave the port, you're out in the middle of the ocean, and the captain opens the papers, and now you know where you're going. But you already started. You're in a direction, but you don't know where it is yet. By faith. That's all this is. That's what he's talking about. Sarah. Sarah, you're going to have a child. I'm 75. I'm not going to have a child. Now, she did have some problems. Remember, because she didn't, she believed God, but she doubted too. Remember, what, what did she do? She laughed. It cost her. God's still gracious, though, thank the Lord. All these died in faith. They never saw some of the promises. Abraham never saw his people go into the promised land. But he said, oh, I'm going to promise it to you. That's what the faith chapter is about. That's what this is. A crisis of faith. It means you are at a point where you must decide. That's all that means. We have all kind of crisis in our life that we have to decide. What am I going to do? Uh, and that's what that means here. And that's how he defines it. Here's a quote from uh, uh, Oswald Chambers. Have you ever had a crisis in which you deliberately and emphatically and recklessly abandon everything? Well, God, you let my son die, my daughter die. I'm not going to trust you anymore. So you turn and walk away. You decided. You say, well, that's a crisis of faith. No, you decided you're not going to trust God anymore. That's what it means. That's always what it means. Whenever God reveals it, this whole study is about trying to see what God's will is for us. You see God's will, and you have to decide, God, am I going to trust you enough to do what you say, or am I not? That's a choice. It's always a choice. 
Well, I don't have a choice. You always have a choice. If you're willing to die for whatever it is, you always have a choice. Because all they can say is, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. And if you want to die, they can't make you do anything, right? Hello? I mean, that's it. You have a choice always. We always do. It is a crisis of will. What do you will? What do you really want to do? That's always the question. You may come up to it many times externally, but it amounts to nothing. The real deep crisis of abandonment is reached internally. Where's my faith? You know, what am I trusting? That's where it is. You know, that's the saying. Whatever's in the well comes up in the bucket. Whatever's really inside your heart is going to control you when these things come. Is your faith down in there whenever the crisis comes? How are you going to react to it? It's always that way. Have you deliberately committed your will to Christ? God, I want to, I want to do what you want me to do regardless. It's a transaction of will, not emotion. <laughs> Bless your heart, you little emotional creatures. I'm not an emotional creature. That's my wife and daughter. Why? It's just not the way I'm made. You know, personalities deal with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Well, there is some wrong with it. But you can't help it. <clears throat> but you have to, right? Just because you're made that way doesn't mean you don't need to fix it some. And me too. Well, I need to show emotion. Sometimes they'll say, or, aren't you excited? I'm excited right now. I mean, that's what you said, Don Williams. Y'all remember Don Williams? Don Williams, don't you get excited? I'm excited right now. The old country singer Don Williams, you know, a real laid-back guy. It's not emotion. Your salvation is not based on how you feel. It's not. It's based on the fact, and that's what we're going to see what faith means. It's based on the fact that Jesus died on the cross. It's not on your feelings. And a lot of people get hung up on that. That's not it. It's a transaction of your will. You know, some days I don't feel saved. When I see people on set doing things in the road, and I'm really not that nice, but nobody knows it but me. I don't feel saved. Matter of fact, I'd want to lay hands on them if I could get to them right there. <laughs> but I'm thinking, Lord, I'm, I'm not basing that on, that's just a weak moment in my life. It's not my salvation. It's not based on that. It's not. The emotion is simply the guilt edge of the transaction. If you allow emotion first, you will never make the transaction. Transaction means commitment to go to the next place. That's all that is, transaction. Not financial, you know. Look what Paul says. Now, to really get this, you'll need to go back in the Old Testament and look at the offerings. There were all kind of offerings. You had to do this offering, and you put this with this, and a drink offering, and a meal offering, and all kind of offerings. He's referring to that when he says, I'm already offered as an offering, a drink offering. Okay, you'd go back and look at that if you really want to dissect what he means here. I am now ready to be offered. What does that mean? Sacrifice. I'm at the point now. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to give it all up. I'm ready to give it all up for you. That's what he's saying. It's a transaction of will, not of sentiment. No, I've decided. My faith crisis is I've made a decision, God. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Now show me what it is. You know, that's where it is. Tell God you're ready to be offered. Then let the consequences be what they may. 
That's why whenever you say, okay, I'm ready to be offered, and then God tells you, you really don't have to stop then and count the cost. Why? You've already made the decision by your faith. You've already decided, well, I'm just going to wait and see. <laughs> That's how we would be, right? If we were Moses standing at the Red Sea, he says, Terry, go ahead and step in that water. And I said, God, I'm going to wait till you part about 10 foot of it first. Then I might go out there in it. He said, no, step in it now. That's what that means. Decision of your will is, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm already out there. I'm going to do whatever. I'm not even going to count the cost anymore. I've already done that. There is no strand of compliance. Not, no matter what God says, you've already decided. I'm ready. Just show me what it is. That's what we're, that's what we're after. We're after that decision of our faith to make that decision. Okay, God, I'm making it now. Now show me what you want me to do. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. God puts you through the crisis in private. You'll have to nail this down out there by yourself. Your spouse can't do it. Your parents can't do it. You have to do it in private. Nobody else can help you. They might can counsel you, encourage you, but they can't do that for you. Eternally, the life may be the, externally, the life may be the same. The difference is the will. You've got you to gotta want it. You've got to make a decision. I'm going to do this regardless what it costs me. Go through the crisis in will, then when it comes externally, there will be no thought of the cost. You know, you make a decision, I'm ready, and then when God says, this is what I want you to do, you don't have to stop me if I ain't wait. Well, boy, this is going to cost me my job, this is going to cost me a relationship. Nope, it's already done, doesn't matter. That's already decided. Let's go. That's what, it, that's what a crisis of faith means. You've got to nail this down before the storm comes, or you'll run. That's the whole point of it. These chapters focus on that. Uh, the chapters uh, that's in your, uh, Dallas made the copies back there. He put it out on the church app. You can see which ones actually uh, deal with this. It focuses on the turning point that is necessary for you to follow God's will. That's what the crisis is. You're at that decision point. Am I going to do that or am I not? And you get to decide. You always get to decide. When God invites you to join him in his work, his pres he presents a, he always has something he wants you to do. If he didn't, the moment you got saved, he'd just take you out of the, this life. The whole reason we stay here is what God, what Paul said. You know, I'd rather leave and be gone with Christ. But for you, it's far better if I stay. You know, God has a purpose for us staying here. This is the crisis point at which people must decide, will they follow what God says what God is leading them to do, that's what we've been talking about. How do we see God's will? You know, he uses all kinds of circumstances to show us. He uses his word. He uses prayer. He uses people. He uses the church. He uses all kinds of things. And when we see that, are we ready to say, okay, I'm ready to go? Well, I know I got to go back and figure that out. No, the crisis of faith is I've already made that decision. That's where you are today. Or decide, well, I'm going to follow him or I'm not. It's a turning point, a fork in the road. It's a decision. That's all it is, a decision. What will I do? What am I going to do? How do you respond when you reach this turning point? Will determine whether you're going to do, follow God or not. That's the whole study. That's what we're about, right? You're looking at something that only he can do. Are you willing to trust him and say, okay, God, if you don't do this, I'm sunk. But I'm ready. I'm going with you. It's not a one-time experience. Well, you know, I did that 15 years ago. I'd have to do that again. If you're alive, you're going to have to do it every day. Even on small issues, 
On big issues, you'll have to do it quite often. Why? Because God's, God doesn't just use you one time and then it's done with you. He's going to keep using you, and it won't always be the same thing. It's going to change. He's always required for human beings, always, before Christ and after Christ, obedience. Your life, action. You don't care what you say, really. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, do you? What are you doing with that? You know, that's what he really cares about. How are you living your life? You know, it's like, well, all I have to do is just trust him and believe, and then everything's all right. No, no, it ain't all right. He, he weighs it with your life. In our Western world, we use this word faith, <laughs> not even close to what the Bible says. It's commonly one of these two things. Paul never uses these. One of them is this. Is, you say, well, what faith are you? That means religion. What religion are you? You know, that's a big term. Religion is just a system, okay? When someone says, what religion? It means what system are you operating under? Is it a Baptist or Methodist? Is it a uh, Hindu? Is it, uh, is it Muslim? What is it? That's all that means. And a lot of times that's how people use the word. Paul's not using it that way. It simply means religion. When you look at it in our culture, it means a lot more like a personal subjective desire or commitment I make to something, okay? It's not tied to any truth or fact. Like someone says, well, now, now I believe, you know, my faith is this, and I'm saying, okay. And they'll, then they'll say, well, I know the Bible doesn't say that, but, so see, their, their faith issue is not based on a something, it's just on an idea. You know, true faith is based on an object. And the object Paul's talking about is Christ. Our whole faith is not, it's not based on uh, just our subjective thinking. It's based on the fact that Christ was God, came in the form of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again. It's a fact. You know, the Bible never asks us to believe a lie of something that never happened. Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if you say Jesus was not resurrected, and then he goes on, he says, then, and he comes to the point and he says, you mean you're saying all these other people are liars who saw him, and that if you're one of those, then you should be pitied more than anybody else because you're living your life based on a lie. It's never that. The, the Bible never asks us to base our life on a, a something that's not a factual truth, and that's exactly what that means. So if you say to some people, you must have faith in Jesus, for some people, a lot of people in our culture today, it's just a blind leap. Well, we don't believe that anyway. Then don't ask them to do that. You know, the Bible never asks them to do that. That's not it. But although the word faith is used in a variety, Paul never uses that. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus doesn't use that. John's not using that in chapter 15, in which we're going to look at. In the Bible, it's crucially important to establish the object of your faith what is it is it just harmony is it just the church is this what your mom and daddy said is it just uh, uh, your own subjective thinking or is it jesus himself that's it it has to be that and that's exactly what it's supposed to be in the this is what he deals with in the whole chapter 15 of first Corinthians. go back and read it and he comes in and he says if that's all you have you don't have any you're pity you should be pitied above everybody because you're basing your whole life on a lie it's not a true factual object. That's what faith is about. 
a factual object. Then what happens to your faith if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? He said, you don't have anything to go on. We have to hurry. We realize that uh, we have a whole lot more than what we have time for. <laughs> Let's skip down quickly. The Bible never encourages you to believe in something that is not true. You know, it doesn't. Never, ever. It's not going to. It never just says, well, just believe. As long as you're sincere, it really doesn't matter what you believe. You better believe it matters what you believe. It never says you just to believe. It says to believe what? On Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, all you have to do is just be sincere. No. Okay, we need to hurry. We're way behind. All right, let's go on down here quickly. <laughs> Where is it? Somewhere. Oh, yeah. This is what James says. Faith, you say you have faith in Jesus, that does not manifest, that does not show itself in your actions. That's not faith. No, we don't do things to be saved. We do things because we are. And he, and he fleshes that out in obedience. The very purpose of our salvation is what? That Jesus don't take us out. He wants us to do something. He wants to use us. That's, that's, it, that's it. Affirmation of faith leads to practical, lived out faithfulness. That's it. There's a lot of people that say they're saved. They say they are. But if you start looking at their life, they can't be. I mean, it just can't be. God is not, uh, I mean, there's too much contradiction there. And that's where we're going real quick here. Genuine faith is obedient. You remember Saul, right? Saul, the first king. God told him, when you go down there, kill all them and don't bring anything back. So he did. He went down there. He brought the king back and all the goods. And then Nathan, I mean, uh, uh, Samuel comes to him, the prophet, and said, you know, he's talking to him, and he starts hearing sheep and bat. What is that? Well, you know, we're we going to give that to the church. That's what he said. God told you not to do that. He told you to kill everybody and don't bring any spoils back. So at that moment, what did he say? You're done. You're done. God's done with you. You're disobedient to the fact that God can't use you anymore. And that's, that was the end of it. That's it. Obedient. What did he tell him? He said, God says, you be obedient more than sacrifice. Wow. Why? Because that is a sacrifice when you're obedient. And this is it. John chapter 15. Jesus gives us an example of what obedience is like. Even as the Father have loved me, I also have loved you. Abide means stay. Live. Abide in my love. Look at this. If you keep my commandments. Does that sound conditional? What does that mean? You're responsible. That's what that means. You are responsible. I'm responsible. If you're responsible and live your life for me, you shall abide in my love. When we're obedient, we are abiding. When we're not obedient, we're not abiding. Don't fool yourself. 
Don't think you're all right with Jesus if you're never doing what he says, because you're not, and I'm not. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments. You want an example? Let me give it to you. I've done everything the Father wants me to do. I'm abiding in him, and he's abiding in me because I'm obedient and abiding his love. There's an example. Wow. The injunction for us to remain in Jesus' love turns on the very fact that we have to respond. In obedience, a crisis of our faith is, do I trust you enough to live what you want me to live? To be obedient, that's it. That's a crisis of faith. Do I have enough faith to trust you, God? And you know, in the end of this, if we get back to the end, there's a lot of people who have this crisis of faith and then they run from God, and sometimes God gives them a chance to come back. Not always. And at the end, there's a few reasons, a few things where we see how that happens if we get that far. I don't know if we will or not. If we are the recipients of Jesus' love in any way analogous to Jesus' own love of his reception of the Father's love, what does that mean? It means we get to choose by our obedience to remain in his love. That's what it means. If we're abiding in him, we're obedient. Now, does that mean we're perfect and we never make mistakes? doesn't mean that. But the general tenor of our life means we want to do everything we can to be obedient. That's what that means. There's a whole difference in that. The same means by which he has always remained. Jesus is our example. If we want to know what that's like. Obedience. That's what he showed us. Total obedience. And that's exactly what Jesus says. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. You have a choice every day if, you want to, if you're going to do what. You know, isn't that amazing? If we'd just do half of what we already know. But we get to choose every day. I know what God wants me to do. Am I going to do it? Or not? Every day. Same thing. What pleases him? That's proof. It's a, it's a central theme throughout the New Testament. Let's go ahead to the next part, and we do have to hurry. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's too much in here. Yes, this is a quote from Dr. Martin Lord Jones. He was a cardiologist first and then became a preacher. Preached for a long time in, I think it's All Saints Church in London. If you ever get a chance to buy one of his books or listen to him, do it, okay? Uh, God used him in a mighty way. He said, sin primarily... Is disobedience. When you know to do something, you know, there's sins of omission and sins of commission. You know what those are, right? One day a man was asking the boy, said, you know the difference? He said, yeah, I do. He said, sins of omission are the sins we should have done and didn't. No, that's not right. He missed it. Sin basically is anytime you do something that you know God says you shouldn't be doing. That's what it is. He's right. And God commands us to repent of it. Repudate it. That's what he says. He says, sin is not just that which I do that is wrong and which makes me feel miserable afterwards. That's what emotion is. There's nothing wrong with having emotion. But just remember, uh, you know, uh, Debbie used to talk about it. She lived in a, she was in a Kyle Omega and lived in a house with eight other girls. 
And the, the, the freshmen that would come in, they would always send them to her because first few weeks they'd all get drunk. They'd come back in and throw up all over everything in the tub and everywhere else. You know how that goes. And then, oh, they were so guilty for a little while. The next weekend, they'd do the same thing again. Until after a while, you know, that you get where it doesn't bother you anymore. But in the early days, your sin makes you feel guilty. You know why it should? Because you are. You know, that's the reason. That's what it's for. That which uh, makes us feel guilty or miserable. That's what it's supposed to be. Not just that which spoils my life and makes me miserable or unhappy. Well, I know I'm doing this and I shouldn't be doing it, so I'm not happy. That, yeah. Not just the thing which gets me down, which I would like to overcome. I know I need to quit this. You know, he's right. Not just that. It is that, but it's also much more. Primarily, it is rebellion against God. That's what it is. You're rebelling, and I'm rebelling against God when I'm doing something that I know I shouldn't be doing or not doing something that I know I should be doing. It's a crisis of faith. I get to decide by my will. God's not going to make you do anything. He's not going to make you quit buying cigarettes or drugs or alcohol or Dunkin' Donuts. He's not going to make you quit that. They're going to still grow tobacco somewhere. They're going to still grow marijuana or everything else that's out there. They're going to still do that. It's not going to change. You decide. It's always that way. It is refusal to listen to the voice of God. Well, I know better than God does. Do you? <laughs> yeah? Let's see how that works out in your life, huh? When the gospel is preached, nowadays you never hear the command behind it. God expects from you to do this. Oh, Jesus loves you. you just, he loves you. You just go ahead. No, he commands your obedience. That's what he, that's what he, he commands our obedience. If we love him, he said, what? If you love me, you will, we just read it, keep my commandments. You'll be obedient. Obedient. <laughs> We're commanded to turn from our sin and disobedience to God. That is the crisis of faith. You're going to have to decide. You say, well, I'm not going to decide. No, you just decided not to decide, and that's your decision. But you just made one. We all make them every day. We do not obey, you know, uh, if you know anything about Catholicism and Pelagius, how, you know, he was trying to make it sound better. And basically, in a nutshell, he kind of said we couldn't obey God. So why could God expect that he would have to do things a little bit different? It's not that we do not obey God because we cannot. That's not the reason. We don't do it because we will not. Oh, you can if you want to. You don't want to. Because we will, comma, not to obey him. Right? Your will. Well, I can't go to the party. No, I don't want to go to the party. Let's be honest. If you really wanted to go to the party, what? Somehow, if there was a way, you would go. We don't just say that, though. Well, I, I got too much to do. I just can't go. No, no, no. I don't want to go. Let's be honest. I don't want to go. I don't like those people. I don't want to go. I'm not going. They don't want to hear that. I, I'm pretty honest. I don't want to do that. Why? I just don't. You go ahead if you want to. No, 
no hard feelings, but I'm not going. I got better things to do in my time, whatever that is, not just a party. It could be any kind of thing, all right? It makes a command that obey so important our disobedience are reprehensible. Yeah. Whoever does the will of my father, that's my children. That, please understand, this doesn't mean uh, that you'll never make a mistake. It doesn't mean that. That's why John said that, you know, when we sin, we have our, our lawyer, our advocate, Jesus. But it means the general tenor of our life is we don't want to do it. Our will is to do the right thing. That is it. He made it clear that obedient is the outflow of our relationship, our love relationship with God. That's how it works. A crisis of belief. This is another quote from uh, Oswald Chambers. We imagine it would be all right if a big crisis arose, but the big crisis will only reveal the stuff that we're made of. Oh, you know, if God does this in my life, I'm going to trust him. You know, if this ever happens, I'm going to do that. And we think the crisis is going to make us be what God would have us to be to handle it? No. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. It only reveals what we really are. You know, whatever's in the well comes up in the bucket. Where your faith is before the crisis will be revealed when the crisis comes. How you respond in the crisis will be revealed on what God's been doing in your life before then. He goes on. It will not put anything in us. The crisis is not going to make you. It's going to just show you. Show who you are. That's why God says to Satan when he's talking about Job, he said, I know what's in Job. You can do everything you want to. It's just going to show you. I know who Job is. I know what he's going to do. The crisis didn't make Job do that. It was in Job. Job had been following God and committing his life to God and doing everything right before then. You know, that's how that is. If God gives a call of the course, oh, if he sends that crisis, then I'll be ready in the crisis. What are you doing to get ready for that? You know, that's the crisis of faith and the crisis of belief. You will not unless you have risen to the occasion in the workshop, in the everyday grind, when you have to deal with those yahoos at work every day. What are you learning? What is God teaching you? Getting you ready in just the day-to-day grind so when the crisis comes, you have enough to work with because you've been working on it every day. The crisis doesn't make you. It shows you. And it shows everyone else. Unless you have been the real thing before God, you know you know how that works, right? Oh, you know, if I had a million dollars, I'd tithe it. No, you wouldn't. If you won't tithe a dime out of a dollar, you're not going to tithe a hundred thousand out of a million. Come on. If you're not serving God now, why do you think you're going to serve Him when the crisis comes? That's when a lot of people's crisis of belief comes. Why? They run. Because God hasn't been doing anything in their life all this time up to that. So when the bottom falls out, they say, we're done with you, God. So what happens is, you know... Oh, what's his name was right. Oh, the old preacher from North Carolina. What was his name? Uh, God, I can see him. Oh, Vance Havner. He says, we gravitate to what lures us, and we end up where we belong. 
Whatever's been going on in the background in our life, it's going to drag us over there and we'll show up exactly where, what, what we're made of. The crisis ain't going to make you. The crisis of belief is when you decide, I can't trust God, so I'm done. That's it. Unless you've been the real thing all this time. You know, that day-to-day stuff. <laughs> if you're not doing the thing that, got, that lies nearest because God has engineered it, when the crisis comes, instead of being revealed as fit, you will be revealed as unfit. Right. It just shows you. You know, it shows you who you are. What are you building on now? Crisis always reveals your character. Where's your character? Has God been working on it? You know, boy, some days you want to say, God, I don't want you to build my character. Because there's a lot of things that build your character you don't really want to go through. You know, you don't want to have to deal with losing your family members to build your character. God, show me some other way. Some things that you only learn one way, you know. And so if you're not, if not God can't grow you up during those times, like Joseph. You know, God grew him up a long time before he was in second in command. God knew he could trust him, and he did. But he had to go through all kind of heartaches to get there. You know, the last part of this is, and we're done. Danny put it up, is, you know, if you're one of those who have been running from God, how do you get back? You know, how do you return? How do you get back to that faith and overcome that crisis of uh, belief? You know, uh, a couple of those things I put in there is, is just simply because in, in Jesus uh, shows us in, uh, in Luke a couple of these, how, you know, the lost sheep that go astray, how do they, how do sheep get lost? They don't intentionally do it. Don't, they just start, oh, well, this is a little bit better. This is a little bit better. What the world's offering here is a little bit better. You know, this is a little bit better. And before long, you're, you're, you're way over there. But Jesus is, is willing to come get you if you're paying attention. You know, that's one of the ways. They don't intend to do that, but it happens. How about a lost coin? Sometimes... By carelessness, you're fooling around with the wrong people. You're going way to the wrong places too many times. Carelessness. That's how it happens. You may be one of those. Man, you're so far off, you, everybody's wondering, will they ever get back? You can, but you've got to understand that. You're the one that's moving away, not God. And the, the last one was this, the prodigal son. What was his whole deal? He wondered what the world had more than what the father had. Boy, that's what the devil's doing right now in our country. What the culture offers, the world offers, the devil's using it. If you're one of those, God still can bring you back. But it will always be a decision of your will. God, do I want to follow you or not? That part's not predestinated. <laughs> You always have a choice. As God's showing you his will, do you want to do it or not? That's the issue. A crisis of faith, you get to decide where you want to be a week from now, six months from now, a year from now in your walk with the Lord Jesus in fulfilling his purpose for your life. I'm so glad he's patient, aren't you? I'm glad he's more patient than I am. I write people off pretty quick.
You know, I'm, I'm sorry. God surprised me sometimes. I said, he'll never make it back. And then they do sometimes. You know, I'm not, I don't want them to do that. I want them to make it back, but I just don't have the patience. Somebody else is going to have to deal with them. And that's what God says. You know, sometimes I can't bring somebody back where somebody else can. Uh, I'm open for a little while, but I, I'm trying to follow that same pattern where he says, don't, in, don't waste your time with people who show no response in whatsoever. That's what he said. He said, invest your, he told Timothy, invest your life in faithful people. Don't waste your time because some of them are never going to change. So we have to be careful. That's another sermon. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you want to use us. Thank you that uh, you'll guide us. Father, help us, help us clearly understand we can decide our will, whether we're going to faithfully follow you or not. Help us not play games. Help us be honest. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus dying on the cross so that we could be right with you, so that we could see these things. Thank you for your word to reveal it to us. Bring glory to yourself through our submission. Help us to submit. In Jesus' name, amen.